Good morning. Thank you to those of you, those of you who have joined us here in the sanctuary, as well as for those who are joining us online. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Sometimes it surprises me what is an easier or a harder message to get prepared for. Uh, the last sermon we did in the Sermon on the Mount two weeks ago, I thought for sure, oh, this is going to be the hard one. It's going to be real difficult to prepare. And yet, sometimes it's a surprise where God's Word will prove extremely timely, yet also extremely difficult and challenging. In today's passage, we're going to look at Jesus Christ's words about how we view others. And they're words that are sorely needed by myself, by all of us. The text we're looking at today, I, I don't know if there's, there are a few texts in the Bible that people can read them and talk about two completely opposite things when they look at it. It provokes extreme reactions. Some people will look at the words that we'll look at today and they'll say, what these words mean is we should never say anything about anything anyone else is doing at any time. No matter what they're doing, it's okay. They're over there. They do them. We do us. We don't say anything. That's, that's how we apply this text. Others will look at some verses later in the passage we're going to read, and they'll take the exact opposite approach. And they'll say, no, Jesus is telling us we have permission to criticize any error anyone has, no matter how big or how small. And as I thought about it, I thought, why do people who look at this, people who profess to be Christians, or even those who don't, but especially people who profess to be Christians, how do they arrive at such different conclusions? Maybe it's a generational or a personality difference. I'm not really sure. I think if we're looking at it generally, very generally, uh, this isn't true in every case or every issue, but very generally, someone who's perhaps younger or maybe more introverted or easygoing will err on the side of, of not showing discernment. It'll be whatever someone else is doing that is all right. And generally, generally speaking, perhaps someone's older or feels more inclined to speak their mind will err on the side of judging where they should not judge. And we, I could take time talking about those differences and what that looks like, and we will a little, but as I reflected on this passage, even though it talks a lot about judging and what that looks like and what it should or shouldn't be, I realized the, the message really isn't about how we judge. It really isn't about how we show discernment. At its heart, these words from Jesus are about humility. What Jesus is really calling for here is a humble attitude and not an attitude of self-justification. And this response of humility is something we all need. Why don't we read our passage before we talk about it? If you're not already there, I'd encourage you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. They'll also be up on the screen. And once you're there, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And then follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Jesus is continuing to speak, and this is what he says. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, 
lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Lord, if if this passage is really calling us to humility, then I I pray that you will build humility in me and in us. Humble us, God, with your word and your truth. Help us to leave final judgment to you and rest in your control, your truth, your presence with us. God, I pray that you will lead us away from an attitude of being judgmental, but also lead us away from being indulgent of sin. Draw us closer to you. Help us to know and rely upon you. Help us to choose humility and not justifying ourselves. May you, Lord, receive the glory of this time this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as a reminder, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, it's a message of Jesus, and he's speaking to a crowd, particularly his disciples, his followers, and he's talking about exceeding righteousness or goodness. He's saying, someone who knows me will have a life that's defined by exceeding righteousness and goodness. They'll live in a way different from those around them. At this part of the sermon, he's talked about what that looks like in our character, and he's talked about what that looks like inside us, how we think about the issues of life we go through. But now he's going to transition to what does this look like in our relationships with others? How will this faith, this exceeding righteousness in us, how will this be lived out? Our faith will impact others. We will have new relationships. So how do those work? And he starts here in chapter 7 by saying, when we deal with others, we should first commit to be humble, not judgmental. Be humble, not judgmental. The larger point he's going to make in these first five verses that we just read is that judging others without correcting ourselves first is foolish. He's critiquing the idea of judgmentalism, not judging or deciding between what is right and what is wrong. Those are two different things. We're called regularly in scripture to look at something and say, is this right or is this wrong? And make a decision about whether or not to do that. But that's different from having a judgmental attitude. There's a thin line sometimes between the two, but they are different. Being judgmental is when we look at a person and we judge their motives or we look down on someone else based on what they do. It's applying a standard to others that we do not apply to ourselves. It's viewing someone else, that person, I see what they've done, they are guilty before God. The point Jesus is bringing up is what God thinks about us is more important than what another person thinks. So as he says in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not or do not judge. We're to stop judging now and do not judge in the future. This is the main point he's going to make and then he will unpack it for us. He's telling us to stop trying to control others out of a supposed concern for them. When he's talking about judging or being judgmental, he means dismissing a whole person based on something they've done. This person has made this one mistake, so I do not have to listen to anything they say or treat them as another human being or show them grace and mercy because they've made this mistake that I don't make. We see this in someone who may be quick to blame others or rush to a rash judgment. Maybe magnify someone else's errors, make them worse than they really are. This is making a final judgment about someone else's heart. 
If you're still struggling with this word, perhaps it's better to maybe substitute it as you're reading it with the word condemn. He's saying condemning, saying this is a person that is condemned. There's no hope for them. Condemn not that you be not condemned. This shows up elsewhere in Scripture. The Apostle Paul talks to a church about this. 1 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, a final judgment on someone, before the Lord comes. Because then he will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness. He will disclose, he will reveal the purposes of the heart. Then each person will receive his, his or her commendation, their reward from God. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus encouraged speaking truth to others. And we will get there, even in this passage. But here, he's attacking, condemning others, particularly over trivial matters. He's really critiquing those who are hypercritical, those who are hypercritical, those who think everyone else is doing it wrong. I'm the only person who's righteous and doing things right. And I just wish people were as righteous, as good as I am. He's critiquing those who expect to find a fault in everything they hear, everything they read, everything they listen to, and in every person they meet, they search out where their error, their fault is. And let me be the first to confess, I can very easily slip into that. And there's an element of truth because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so there, if you look at somebody trying to find somewhere they've messed up, somewhere they've gone wrong, you will find it. It is there. But someone who's judgmental or hypercritical, they latch onto that as a reason to dismiss everything that person is or what they do. If you want evidence of this in my own life, you should talk to my family members about what happens when we visit another church. Because often we'll visit another church, and then they used to, they don't anymore, they used to ask me, John, what did you think of that pastor's sermon? Um, They don't ask that question anymore, because sometimes, okay, often in those circumstances, I have a tendency to be extra harsh or critical. I hope over the years that I'm growing in that. And when I would, it wasn't because I was trying to be mean. I would say, I'm defending truth. This person was not representing God very well. And that may be true, but most of my comments or anger came not from concern for God's truth, but pride in my own beliefs. And pride is the opposite of humility. It's possible for us to have sinful pride even when we're right. Even if we're in the right, we can still have sinful pride pride that leads us to condemn others. Instead, Jesus tells us, judge not, we should be slow to find fault with others. And I'd say in this day and age where we have benefit of social media and things like that, it it makes it even more difficult because we can hear things about people we will never meet. And it's truly impossible for us to condemn someone that we will never meet. We will never know everything going on in their heart, so don't do it. We can critique someone's actions, but we should acknowledge that God controls their destiny. When we condemn someone and dismiss them as a person, we are taking a power that only belongs to God. Our role is, as Paul will write later in 1 Corinthians, to show love. And love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And what's key here, love endures all things. That doesn't mean agreeing. That doesn't mean approving but that means enduring out of care for another. As we'll say in verse 2, the judgment or the standard that you use will be used on you. What you measure out will be measured back to you. This is true with somebody else. What you do to someone, they're more than likely to do to you, and it's especially true for God. 
What goes around comes around. What we give, we get back. And since he's talking about those who are judgmental or hypercritical, I don't know if you ever noticed this, it's interesting that those who tend to be the most critical are often the most sensitive to criticism when it comes their way. They're, they're missing this truth here that what you give out, what you say, will be directed back. We should expect to be treated by others and we should expect to be treated by God the way that we treat others. And it's kind of an application of this. This is why we should show mercy. If you're following along the notes, I have some kind of application points. And this one is we should show mercy. Scholar Danny Aiken says, showing mercy to others is an act of wisdom. It flows out of a recognition of the mercy God has shown us. God shows us mercy, we show others mercy. But on the other hand, judging harshly, well, that's an act of foolishness because it reveals you do not understand God's grace. If we truly understand God's grace, we will be more likely to show mercy and grace to others. And we should reflect God in our actions. Now, when he talks about God will judging, that you will be judged, you'll be measured back to you, there are other passages in Scripture, and those of us who study God's Word know that if we have a relationship with God, if we've turned from sin, if we believed in Him, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then that's not something that will be thrown away. We'll continue in it. God will keep us. However, God will still judge our actions, and that's a warning we need to take. Fortunately, though, when God judges us, he shows us grace. If we know Jesus, if we have a relationship with him, then when he looks at us, he sees what Jesus did for us. And even though we may have sinned and done something wrong, whether it's judging others or something else, he sees that Jesus died for us and paid for that sin, and he shows us grace and mercy. And here Jesus is saying, that is what you are to show others as well. Jesus himself will do this. He'll compare this type of action with judging to also forgiveness and giving. He does this in the Gospel of Luke. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And as God has shown us mercy and forgiveness, we should show the same to others. Jesus' half-brother James spoke about this as well. In James 2, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So by telling us not to judge, he's calling us to humility and he's calling us to show mercy. But that doesn't change the fact that somebody else may be doing something that's wrong, something that's against God. And so how do we respond then? Yes, we should be humble. Yes, we should show mercy. But, but this person is doing something that I feel is wrong. How do we address this problem? Well, Jesus says, I understand, but we need to check ourselves first. You need to check yourself first before you address that problem in someone else. We see this in verses 3 and 4, where Jesus may be using his background as a carpenter. And he says, why do you see, why do you worry about the speck, the splinter, the speck of dust, the chip of wood that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log, the plank that is in your own eye? 
For how can you say to your brother, let me take the the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? He's implying here that the person's taking pleasure in finding this small fault. It's saying, oh, my friend, you have this error. You have this mistake. Let, Let me fix that for you. Let me direct you into a better path. But he says, all the while, someone who does that often has a log or a plank in their own eye. Now, he's using exaggeration or, or hyperbole. He's trying to show how ridiculous the situation is. Someone doesn't literally have a two-by-four coming out of their eye. But it, he's saying that that's what it's like if you try to fix someone else when there's a problem in you. Pastor Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Jesus is gentle, but he calls that man, that woman, a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to the great matters at home in his own person. We cannot correct others when we are the ones in need of correction. It's foolish for us to try to do so. Yet it's human nature. Humans always try to do it. In Jesus' day, he really struggled this with the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders in the day. They critique people over the smallest perceived errors that they can find. Jesus talks about this in Matthew. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe, you give 10% of mint, dill, cumin, your little tiny spices, you'll set aside 10% of that for God. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He calls them blind guides, You'll strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So the Pharisees in their desire, they're like, oh no, I don't want to eat this gnat of sin, but give me this camel of sin. I will embrace that. Jesus is saying that is foolish. In their desire to be so right, they missed where they were wrong. Friends, brothers and sisters, it is dangerous to assume that we do not need correction ourselves. And if we get to the point where I don't think I need correction, then we can become completely desensitized to our own sin. We excuse our sin more and more and more until we no longer recognize it as sin. It just becomes a part of who we are. James will also speak about this as well. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, God's law, and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're no longer a doer of the law. You've made yourself a judge. And he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He, God, who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James is pointing out, as Jesus is, that God alone is the judge. He's the only one who knows everything, every purpose, everything in someone's heart. And so we are incapable of properly judging without him. And so what he tells us to do in verse 5 is we must thoroughly inspect our own hearts, inspect our own lives first before we correct others. We inspect ourselves, then we must immediately, decisively remove any sin from our lives, and then and only then are we in a position to help others. As verse 5 says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying don't overlook sin. He's not saying ignore someone else's problems, but he says we must address 
problems, sin, struggles that someone else has in the proper order. We're about to get to verse 6, which will tell us we should discern things. We should help. We should correct others. But we must start first with ourselves. Think about it if you've ever flown in an airplane. If you've ever taken a flight on a commercial airplane, you'll remember that the flight attendants will give a little safety demonstration. And the one thing they always talk about is if the plane would somehow lose pressure, that gas mask will drop from the ceiling. And you might remember, what did they tell you to do? They say, when the mask dropped, put your own mask on first before you help someone else. Because if you try to help someone else first, you may run out of air yourself. So they say, especially for parents with children, put your own mask on, then help someone else. It's the same thing Jesus is saying here. First, take care of the sin in your heart, then you will be able to help someone else. I never imagined that I would ever quote Michael Jackson in a sermon, but as Michael Jackson sang, he said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. It's the same principle there. Start with ourselves, the person we see in the mirror, make the change there, and then we're able to help someone else. And it was thinking about this is why I realized this passage really is about humility, more so than it's about judging others. It's about what attitude do we have about ourselves? Am I always right or do I submit myself before God and ask God to search and try my heart? Friends, if we were really concerned about God's righteousness, if we really cared about the things God cared about, then we would humbly deal with our own sins first before we critique and condemn others. If we're more interested in condemning, this person does that, these people do that, and we're less interested in fixing ourselves then I don't think we really care about God's righteousness. We care about what offends us and what upsets us, but we don't care about seeing God's reign and rule established. If we know God, we will want to live for him. We want ourselves to live for him. Once we are, then we can help others know him as well. We should reflect on our own failures, our need for repentance, for change, and reflect on what God's grace has meant in our lives. What does this mean? It means we should not waste time criticizing others when there is a need for change in our own lives. Again, and we're about to get there. That doesn't mean we never correct someone who's an error, but it means we must do so with humility. We can only help someone else who is stuck in sin if we approach them with compassion, humility, sympathy, and mercy. Paul will write in Galatians to believers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And he gives a warning, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God's word does tell us to make decisions to address problems that other people have. Earlier, I read a passage where Paul was writing, it was 1 Corinthians 4. The very next chapter or two, he talks about somebody's in sin, you need to address it, warn him, and if it doesn't change, remove this person from your church body. So he talks about church discipline, about bringing God's truth into someone's life who's strained from God. But he starts with acknowledging God has final judgment. And when we call somebody to repent or turn from sin, we do so with humility 
and with understanding, not in a desire to see them punished, but to see them actually acknowledge their failure and to turn to know God better. We need to be very careful in doing that. We also need to be careful in how we think about this with whatever the common issue of the day is. I had an extended section here where I tried to speak with with some clarity about things about how we think about responding to coronavirus and stuff like that. It's it's difficult to do so the more I reflected about it. So I'm going to try to share more uh, the the truth of Scripture and try to let it speak for itself. And I'm just applying this text. There is much that could be said about how we interact with things people say about how we should respond to this virus. And there's other places to talk about it, but this is the passage we've just read is about not being judgmental. And the reason I wanted to speak about it is because I I see and hear too much of it. And I'm not talking about what happens out there. I'm talking among God's people, questioning others' motives or commitment to the Lord. Now, I understand that it's been a very frustrating, a very long and difficult year, but let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to grace and patience. We are explicitly told in Scripture not to grumble, gossip, or complain about other believers. Again, James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's James 5, 9. Now, if you hear something like that and you think, oh, but I'm not grumbling against someone, well, then search our hearts because I have ears, brothers and sisters, and I hear much grumbling amongst others and even in my own heart and mind. And I would challenge us to think about the kind of love and grace we're showing to others. Because if we take joy and pleasure when somebody who makes different choices than us gets sick or suffers, then there's something very wrong with our attitude. We are going to be held accountable for how we show love to others and how we model Christ's love. When we first returned to the church building, I preached a sermon on Romans 14. Let's remind ourselves of what Paul says in this chapter. In Romans 14, 10, he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to judge your spirituality based on something the Bible doesn't explicitly cover. However, I will ask and I will challenge you Are you living by what you want to do, what you feel is best, what we feel is right, what we feel is more comfortable? Or are you living out a desire to honor God? And are you looking out for the interest of others? Do you make your decisions about what you're doing based on this is what I like, or how can I honor God and love others? I'm not a scientist, I'm not an infectious disease expert, and I won't pretend to be, but I am passionate about loving God and loving others. And in every circumstance, every decision I make, every situation, and there's different situations, I think, how can I best love God in this moment, and how can I best show love to others in the decision I make? I have to think about that in terms of my family, in terms of my church family, in terms of the larger community. I have to think about it in terms of each individual I'm interacting with. How can I love God and love this person, these people, 
in that situation. And then I have to make a decision that I think does that. What decision can I make will honor my Lord and show love to others? As Paul says right after the passage we just read in verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So it's not just deciding I'm not going to judge someone, it's I'm not going to judge someone and I'm going to actively help others and look out for them. I think this is a process that all believers should follow. Friends, I'm tired of the judgmentalism. I'm tired of the selfishness. We can do better. We should do better. So we shouldn't judge. But on the other hand, Christ does call his people to be humble by not being indulgent. By not being indulgent. By indulgent, I mean permissive, having an anything-goes attitude. You do whatever you want. As verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Here we see this wonderful balance of Jesus. He's saying, don't judge, but don't be indulgent, permissive. Let sin go without being addressed. Don't take the cowardly approach of not standing up for truth. This is a challenge for us to be discerning, to use appropriate evaluation or your application point to practice discernment, to take a prudent consideration of what is going on. As the scripture says, do not give dogs what is holy or sacred. The New Living Translation puts it, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. So on the one extreme, Jesus warned us we shouldn't be judgmental, but on the other extreme, he's saying we should not be undiscerning. We should not think about what is right and wrong. We should not forsake making decisions about what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do. We should make decisions based on our actions and the actions of others. It is wise to use discernment, to make a decision about how we treat someone, especially for someone who abuses or misuses God's word. Again, Charles Spurgeon said, you are not to judge, but you are not to act without judgment. We're not to judge and say, this person is condemned before God, but we should say, this person's not making a wise decision. This is either an opportunity for me to speak about that or an opportunity for me to remove myself from this situation. Jesus did this. He spoke with this type of clarity. If we just take that verse one, judge not, you be not judged, that's all he's saying. Well, he just called the Pharisees hypocrites in this very sermon that we're looking about. And in a few weeks, he'll talk about false teachers and talk about what awaits them. And here in this verse, he calls people who are rejecting God's word dogs, not cute little puppies, but a dangerous pack of scavengers, comparing it to people who love evil, despise God's word. It's a message to not force the gospel, not force the good news, not force God's truth on someone who's unresponsive to it or hostile to it. We should pray for the person, but then entrust them to God if they respond with hostility. I was thinking this morning, looking at it, this is probably the the best action to take if you find yourself in a disagreement with someone about a coronavirus thing, is if the temperature rises in your conversation, pray for that person and entrust them to God. He talks about someone rejecting truth as pigs, swine, someone who's unclean, unable to recognize beauty, and the value of God's truth. They reject God's truth. They'll turn and attack you instead and not the truth that you are sharing. 
God's truth is a pearl. It has value. It is beauty. It is worth looking at and desiring. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven that is worth everything that we have. We should be passionate about it, but if someone else is not, then we should be merciful and forgiving, but we should not infinitely proclaim the gospel to someone who rejects it. We should not get into a long, drawn-out argument with someone who's uninterested in hearing with what God, with what God says to us. If someone responds in hostility to your expression of faith, we should avoid conflict wherever is possible. Jesus gave these instructions to his disciples when they were to go out, when they were to share the good news. He says this in Matthew 10. He says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, then shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And judgment will come. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Rejecting God's truth is serious, but Jesus says it's not something to get lost in an argument about. God will take care of the final judgment. Now, this is a wisdom thing. We'll interact with different people different ways. Maybe somebody will will talk to us a little bit longer before they raise their anger. It's wisdom in how we do this. We have to know what to say to each kind of person. We should offer good news, share God's truth with everyone. But we shouldn't get lost in a never-ending argument with someone who is unwilling to receive it. Because only genuine, humble believers will receive and truly appreciate God's word and his truth. This was always true. The Old Testament tells us about this. In the book of Proverbs, the author writes, Whoever corrects a scoffer, someone who scoffs, doubts, doesn't listen to God's word, whoever corrects a scoffer will get himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man will incur injury. So do not reprove, do not correct a scoffer, he will hate you. But if you reprove or correct a wise man, he will love you. Someone who's living with an attitude of humility will say, I appreciate that correction from God's word. Thank you for sharing that with me. Someone who's not will respond with abuse, injury, and attack. It's unwise to continue an unproductive argument. Pray for repentance for that person and then move on. The Bible gives us the same advice whether we're talking to an unbeliever or someone who claims to be a Christian. Paul writes to his friend Titus about somebody in a church. He says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Whether they're in the church or outside, if they're not hearing correction or God's truth, that's a time to step away from that conversation. Other scripture talks about if they're in the church, we should bring someone to try to help and and do that, but there may come a point to step away. We are to be discerning and wise. Truth should be given to those who will receive it. If someone claims to know Christ, but we see an error in their ways, we should take the wisdom that we talked about, about checking ourselves first, attempt to share truth, but it is not received, back off. Those are the truths Jesus talks about it. But as we draw to the end, uh, I need to share with you my my fear and my concern with sharing this message. My fear is that what you will hear me saying is, you have my permission, you are excused to do whatever you want to do. That's what I fear you'll hear from that. I fear you'll hear, well, pastor, I don't judge people, so I'm just not going to correct anyone. And that, that will be all right. And others will 
here. Well, I, I am discerning. I do point out where people have fallen short, so I'm going to keep doing that. Or you'll hear, the way I'm living my life right now is perfectly right, and those other people should stop judging me. You're right, Pastor John. I hope they were listening to you today. I'm going to share this with all my friends online when I get home. My fear is that's the way we'll take it. We'll think about, ah, this person needs to hear that. That person needs to hear this. This text is about humility before God. This text encourages us to seek the interest of others. Our common problem, friends, is that we want to justify, we want to prove ourselves right. We live in a kind of self-righteousness where we think we're good and right before God. We think what we do is what God approves and everyone else does it wrong. And so Jesus is leaving us with a choice in this passage. And our choice is, are we going to choose humility or self-justification? Are we going to choose to live in humility before God that God's the one who knows what's right, not me, and I'm going to check myself and make sure that I'm in a right relationship with him? Or are we going to live, the decisions I make are right because of this reason and this reason? We should also hear a convicting challenge from scholar D.A. Carson. He said, we ought not fail to note that there are five verses here reserved for judgmental people and only one for undiscerning people. This ratio reflects an accurate assessment of where the greater danger lies. It's not that one's more important than the other, but Jesus knew his audience. And since he's having us look at it, I think he knows us as well. It's easy to look down on those who don't live the same way we do, who don't make the same decisions that we do. But if we're looking at God's word in the right way, it will humble us. We will see what we are compared to God and realize, who am I to judge my neighbor? As I was thinking about this, I came to a a realization that I think is true of almost every situation. If we spend time in God's word, whether we're reading it, whether we're listening to it preached, if we're ever in a situation where we are interacting with God's word and we leave that time thinking, you know what, I'm better than that person. I do that part of the Bible better than that person does. Then I don't think we've had a genuine encounter with God in that time in his word. If we leave thinking better about ourselves, yeah, I'm, I'm doing things right, then I, I don't think God has spoken to us or been with us during that time. The last I checked the Bible, God's not in the business of making us feel better about ourselves. God is in the business of revealing who he is so that we respond with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we're going to critique someone, if we're going to help someone, we need to search our hearts, check ourselves first, check our motives, examine our walk with the Lord. Am I following God? Seek the wisdom of his word. Seek that other person's interest. Avoid a snap judgment. Take time to get the facts and pray. And then when we do speak, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, Paul tells us to rather speaking the truth in love. We, followers of Christ, we are to grow up in every way, into him, into Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole church, all believers are joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part of the church body is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I realize it's a cheesy song, but High School Musical is right. We are all in this together. And if we go into judgmentalism, that is separating us from 
one another. We cannot do this, live for God, serve his church, build his kingdom, work with him in that on our own. And friends, we condemn ourselves when we judge others. Now, if we hear this and we realize that we're in the wrong, realize I I do, I have been condemning and judging others. Well, I, I do have a message of hope for us. Paul writes in the book of Romans that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we may condemn, we may fail, we may fall short, but God through his son, promises grace and forgiveness even for those failures. Perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus or you do not have a relationship with him or maybe you're watching online and you found yourself judging others, critiquing, condemning them for what they do and you realize that's, that's not the way to live. There is no condemnation for you if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, if you've turned away from your sin and said, no, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to humble myself before you. You are so much greater than I am. Please help me. That's something that you should get right today. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. Whether you talk to me about it or reach out some other way or talk to someone else, you need to get that right today, your relationship before God. Maybe you do know Jesus, who professed to know him, but you've found yourself condemning others, particularly in such a contentious and frustrating year. I would say the same message is true for you. Repent of that. Turn away from that. Humble yourself before Christ. Acknowledge that he is the one who makes those decisions, not you. And then you too can experience that there is no condemnation for you. Jesus' warning in this passage is, is scary on the surface. He says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We need that promise. There is no condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. If you don't know him, then come to know him. If you do, cling closer to him. We need Jesus. We need his grace because he alone is worthy of that kind of trust.